Well, good morning. Good to see you all this morning. About 1025, there were four people here, so <laughs> I wondered how many people would be here on Labor Day weekend. Thank you for your kind words earlier, Jordan. Um, it is true that Lauren and I, there's nothing special about either one of us. We just try to follow Jesus and glory to God for any, <laughs> any honor that comes our way. And we're glad to have Ben with us this morning. It's always a blessing to see you and to have you help lead us when you're here uh, to play and lead us in worship. And in case anyone was wondering, I am not Tiger Woods. I don't know how many golfers there are, but Jordan is, and he caught that. Uh, Tiger Woods on Sundays in golf tournaments would always wear a red shirt and black pants, and I intentionally <laughs> put that on. I've done it on other Sundays as well. I don't know if anyone ever caught that, but now I cannot wear this again for at least a year or more because you'll always remember that. <laughs> anyway, uh, let me pray for us this morning again. God, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful that you are the ancient of days, that all glory, authority, and power rest in your hands, and that gives us peace and uh, knowledge that we can trust in you. Please bless this time. We pray as we sung that your spirit would move in our midst, that he would fall upon us, that he would fill us that he would speak through the word that you have inspired. And we pray that you would transform us more and more into the image of Christ and that we would leave here looking and living more like Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Have any of you ever had a bad dream before? Maybe a nightmare or a night terror? Uh, I have. At several points in my life, when I was a kid, sometimes I would wake up just screaming in the middle of the night until my parents would come and comfort me. And this continued into adulthood as well. Uh, Kurt, the former pastor, the founding pastor of Connection, he and I have traveled all over the world and shared a bedroom I don't know how many times. But he's had this experience as well, and it has terrified him that I would wake up in the middle of the night screaming. And I, I often won't even remember what the dream was about, this nightmare. And thankfully, I haven't really had this much anymore or what all was going on. That this is something that is terrifying, disturbing to those who have had experienced that. And in the book of Daniel... There's a lot of dreams, right? If you read through the entire book of Daniel, there's lots of dreams. There's significance to these dreams. Don't know that we'd call them a nightmare or a night terror, but in Daniel chapter 7, the passage we're looking at today, Daniel has this profound dream that comes from the Lord. And it tells us, he tells us in verse 15, that he was troubled in spirit. And the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. And he has this vision that he doesn't even understand that he needs angelic help to understand what was going on. And later on in verse 28, he says, I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts and my face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself. So he's got this dream that troubles him, it disturbs him, 
it wasn't any ordinary dream that you and I might have. It is something that comes from God, something that God is revealing to him. And if you look at Scripture, sometimes God speaks through dreams. And I don't want us to discount that possibility for today. I think sometimes God gives us revelations through our dreams. So if you have a profound dream that you think might be from God, I encourage you to pray about it and see if God might be trying to trying to tell you something. I've had that. I've had some dreams that I thought might be from, from God where he's trying to tell me something. So if you do have that, talk to him about it and see if it may be something for you. So Daniel has this troubling, upsetting dream, and through it, God was trying to give a message to Daniel, to other Israelites living in exile in Babylon, and a message that he has for us as well today through the dream that Daniel has. So we've been going through the book of Daniel, and Daniel and the other Israelites are living in exile decades at this point, away from the promised land, away from the temple that was God's symbolic presence on earth, away from the regular worship that they had in the temple. And I'm sure through this experience of being carried off into exile, they wondered at times, where was God? Had God abandoned them? What's our purpose and what does the future look like as us, as God's chosen people, but now we're removed from God's land? And biblically, if we follow Jesus, we are also exiles, according to the Scripture, because Scripture tells us that our citizenship is in heaven where God is, and we are not there yet into the promised land, the new heavens and new earth talked about in the book of Revelation. So we also are exiles living in lands under foreign occupation. Things aren't as they should be. And sometimes in life, it seems like everyone and everything is against us, and we probably, like the Israelites in exile, wonder, where is God? Has God abandoned us? Why would God allow some of the things that happen in this world to happen? And this last week for me was one of those weeks where it was just really rough and just feel, felt like nothing went <laughs> my way. Like every time I turned around, something was falling apart and there were troubles. And I was reminded of Peter's words in 2 Peter 3.13, where I'm looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. That even though life may be hard, we can look forward to the hope that we have in Jesus. And the, the promised land that we have to look forward to is exiles living here on earth. And so to encourage Daniel, to encourage us, God shows up and he gave Daniel this profound dream, this vision to let us know that God is indeed with us. God is still in control and that he is still at work in the world. And so just to quickly summarize the first few verses that precede what Jordan had read earlier, he has this vision of these four beasts that come up out of the sea, a winged lion that turns into a man, a voracious bear with three ribs in its mouth, a four-winged leopard with four heads, and a fourth beast that was so frightening and powerful that it was beyond description. And the four beasts that he sees, they represent the kings and kingdoms of the world. And then following this vision of the four beasts, Daniel gets this vision of the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man from the passage read earlier. 
God is showing Daniel and us that there is a contrast between the kingdoms of the world and the kingdom of God. And it's written to encourage us to keep fighting the good fight of faith, to persevere and not to give up, to hope and to trust in God. Four different beasts in this vision, representing four different earthly kingdoms or empires. And we're going to look at the the contrast between the kingdoms of the world and the kingdoms of God in a few different dimensions. But the first is how long the kingdoms last, how long they endure. But looking at the, the kingdoms of the world, earthly rulers are going to come and go. Kingdoms will come and go. Empires will come and go. At one point, the British Empire boasted that the sun never set on the British Empire. Here in America, we've made lots of boasts and similar statements. America is the greatest nation in the history of the world. America needs to be the peacekeepers or the police force of the world, at least when it's in our economic interest to do so. But you know what? If the Lord delays his return, America will also go the route of every other empire. Other nations, empires, and kingdoms thought they were so great and powerful, they thought they would exist and last forever, and some of them lasted for centuries, right? But the reality is, earthly kingdoms, earthly rulers, they replace, succeed, and supplant one another. And that's one of the messages that Daniel has from the beasts. In verses 11 and 12, we see where even the terrible fourth beast is destroyed and removed from power. No matter how demonic or fierce the rulers may be, all the worldly kingdoms are temporary in nature, and that is what Daniel sees. But then there's another kingdom. There's a kingdom of the Son of Man and the Ancient of Days who represents God the Father. And in verse 14, we see his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. His authority will not pass away. No one can take it from him. His kingdom will not be destroyed. It's sure and certain, more certain than the sun coming up tomorrow morning. There's no one greater who will come after him. No amount of force, military might, intrigue, or money can overcome him. As Daniel describes what he sees in verse 9, the Ancient of Days shows up and takes his seat on the throne. With earthly kingdoms and empires, there's often much bloodshed, deceit, or corruption involved with the transition from one kingdom to the next. But the Ancient of Days just shows up, matter-of-factly, and takes his seat on the throne. There's no argument or debate. There's no battle. There's no election. There's no opposition. He just shows up, takes his seat. We talk about how we're the boss or we're in charge, but who are we kidding when we think or say stuff like that because there's only one boss, and it's not you or me. Our king is an eternal king, so his kingdom is an eternal kingdom. What does that mean? It means that there's no beginning or end. Before anything else was, God was, and God always will be. No human is eternal. We came into existence at a particular point in time. So why would we place our hope and trust in finite and temporary rulers? I'd rather put my hope and trust in a king who will not be deposed. 
I'd rather trust in a ruler who is fully trustworthy, fully reliable, who knows the end from the beginning and holds all of human history in his hand. And if that's not good enough, he loves you and me with an unconditional love. God's kingdom is an eternal kingdom. Earthly rulers, earthly kingdoms, they're finite, temporary, will not last. So if we weigh them on the balance, which one are we going to go with? I'm going with the kingdom of God. But if that's true, if that's true, why does it often seem like God and his people are losing? If his kingdom is an eternal kingdom, if God is on his throne, why throughout human history does it often look like we get the short end of the stick where it looks like we lose as the people of God? And that was a question that the exiles in Daniel's time wondered as well. Why are we exiled from the promised land? We're God's people. Why do we have a foreign ruler over us, and we're completely removed from God's land that he gave to, to us. So the second thing I want to look at is what does it look like to win when we look at the kingdoms of the world versus the kingdom of God? What does it look like to win? For worldly rulers, kingdoms, and authorities, winning means having power and control, often at any cost. Winning means having money, influence, accumulating more and more. Winning means having a life of ease and comfort, being able to do what we want when we want. For God's people, though, we need a different metric. For us, winning comes down to faithfulness, faithfulness to God, his word, and his kingdom. Daniel and his friends won because they chose faithfulness to God over compromise even if it meant the lion's den or the fiery furnace, and they were vindicated. But even if God didn't save them, they said they were not going to compromise. They were going to maintain their faithfulness to God and to his kingdom. Even if God never showed up and delivered them from the lions, even if God never showed up and delivered them from the fiery furnace. And under, in Daniel chapter 7, under the rule of the fourth beast, we see God's people persecuted and attacked. In verses 21 and 22, as I watched, this horn was waging war against the holy people and defeating them until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the holy people of the Most High, and the time came when they possessed the kingdom. The rulers, symbolized by this horn, fought against God's people and even defeated them, but it was a temporary victory. Evil may win for a time, But the outcome of the war has been decreed from the beginning. It may look like we're losing, and we may even lose our lives or our livelihood, but in the end, we will be victorious if we take our stand and maintain our faithfulness to the Lord. Again, the arrogance of the king that Daniel sees in verses 25 through 27, he will speak against the Most High and oppress his holy people and try to change the set times and the laws. The holy people will be delivered into his hands for a time, times, and half a time, but the court will set and his power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey him. Worldly kings are powerful. They have position, worldly power, authority, and might military, weapons, money. They control the economy and even threaten heaven itself. But in the end, according to God's word, they lose and the holy ones of God win, which is us. 
If we trust in Jesus, we are the holy ones of God. If we maintain our faith in the Lord, we win and we will possess the kingdom of the Most High. Even if we suffer, even if we're oppressed, even if we lose everything, even our lives, we know that in the end, we win. I don't know how many of you know Manpreet. I think he came to Connection a few years ago, but he's one of the pastors that we support in India. He lives in Punjab, and he told me this past week that uh, different Christian groups and churches were being attacked in Punjab, that they were being persecuted for their faith in Jesus. We need to pray for him. We need to pray for the church in India because persecution is real. It's always existed upon believers. The kingdoms of the world, they're beasts. They don't like followers of the Most High God and will attack and oppress us. We are called to be strong, firm, and steadfast, knowing that in the end, we win. So we need to pray for Manpreet. We need to pray for our brothers and sisters in India and other places around the world where they are being attacked and persecuted, that they would not compromise, that they would remain steadfast in their faith in Christ. So how can we know that this is true? How can we know that our victory at the end will happen, especially when it looks like we're losing or we often are losing from a worldly perspective? We need to go back to Jesus. He was oppressed. He suffered. He died on the cross. But three days later, as we try to remind you, he overcame it all through his resurrection from the dead. When I had a group of young men that I was mentoring regularly, I used to tell them, they killed Jesus and they might kill you too. And it's true. We could be killed for our faith, but paradoxically, through losing, we actually win. Now, it's unlikely that any of us will probably be killed for our faith, but do we demonstrate our faith and our faithfulness to King Jesus when faced with lesser threats? What will my coworker think when they find out that I'm a Christian? What will my neighbor think if they see me going to church every Sunday? Will people think I'm weird or a prude if they find out I'm a Christian? Will I be mocked or attacked for my faith? Or maybe people will just shun me and avoid me because they know I follow Jesus. Will my brothers and sisters in India and other places inspire and challenge me to be faithful? Faithfulness unto death because it's through our faithfulness that we win. You may recall Paul from Ephesians 6, after you have done everything, stand. We're called to stand, to be steadfast. We follow a crucified yet resurrected Savior, and if we follow him, there is going to be loss of some kind before we win. There's a crucifixion before a resurrection. But the winning is incredible because it's not a million dollars or even a trillion dollars or political power. It's a place in the eternal kingdom of God, living with our eternal king forever and ever. And that ought to inspire and motivate our faithfulness as we hope in the fulfillment of Daniel's vision. So thirdly, where is our hope? God's kingdom is eternal. We are called to be steadfast, knowing that we win by being faithful. And the third contrast is our hope. Where is our hope? 
worldly kings symbolized by the beasts hoped in themselves. And I would say that many worldly people hope in themselves, in their ingenuity, their shrewdness, their connections, their position, their money, or their job. But much of it goes back to me, myself, and I. I was reminded of Nebuchadnezzar's I and my from Daniel 4.30. Is not this the great Babylon I have built his royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Boastful arrogance, prideful autonomy, a characteristic of many in the world. And guess what? God turned the beast into a beast, literally. Nebuchadnezzar, the beast, became a beast because of his pride. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And many worldly people, their hope is in themselves. Other worldly people... Hope in our friends, or family, those around us, or any number of things. But hope in anything other than the Lord falls, falls short and is essentially another form of idolatry. If a good thing becomes the ultimate thing, it is an idol. And it's got to go from that place in our life. Even the good thing of family can become an idol. God deserves our number one and our ultimate place in our lives. In contrast to worldly hope, whatever it might be, we as the people of God have our hope in our king, the son of man, the ancient of days. Everything else is finite. It's not going to last. So let's not fall for the deception to fall in or to trust and hope in those things when we can hope in the one thing that will never fade, fall away, or get old. Often people, I think, think that God is some old-fashioned belief that needs to be placed, be replaced by something new or fresh. But you know what? He's still here today and is as, re- as, re- as relevant today as he will be in 3,000 years and as, as relevant as he was 2,000 years ago because God is always fresh. God is always relevant. So let us hope in the one true king, our creator and our redeemer. All of history is in his hands and is moving towards his kingdom and his eternal reign. Our job is to get on board and get in line with the king and his agenda. In contrast, there's that hope that we can control our own destiny. We control our fate, our hope. You need to make it happen. You can do whatever you want. You can be whatever you want to be. The emphasis is on you. In a sense, there's some truth to that, as God has given us freedom and some power to make real choices with real consequences. But God's not going to allow us to continue in rebellion forever. Instead of thinking that we've got the whole world in our hands, We need to recognize that the whole world is in his hands and live a life of faith, trusting the Lord and putting our hope in him. And if we think that we're masters of our fate, masters of our destiny, you know what, that can can create a lot of stress, anxiety, worry in life. Thinking that all of the future depends on me, thinking that I've got the whole world in my hands, that's a big weight and a big burden that we were not designed to bear. In contrast, look again at Daniel's vision from verse 9. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. And as I was meditating and thinking about that line, 
that one sentence could change your life. The ancient of days took his seat. The beasts of the world, they fight and devour each other, fighting for power, influence, and positions that aren't theirs to hold. The kingdoms of the world are full of anxiety, looking over their backs, fearful, trying to hold on to power while it's slipping out of their hands. In contrast, was the Ancient of Days stressed or worried when he took his seat on the throne? There's no fluff. There's no fanfare when Scripture says the Ancient of Days took his seat. Like I said, it's just a matter-of-fact statement. There's no question, no argument, no fight, no battle, no election, no coup d'etat or election rigging. The Ancient of Days just shows up and takes his seat. I love it that God's just in control. He's in charge. And he knows it. Hopefully we know it as well. And that can eliminate stress, anxiety, or worry, knowing that he is in charge. He's on the throne. And this is the reality that Daniel sees that he writes down from his vision. That all of history is headed in the direction of God ruling forever and ever in his eternal kingdom. Look again at verse 27. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all rulers will worship and obey him. Fast forward a few centuries, and the Apostle John has a similar vision recorded in Revelation 11.13. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven, which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. The beasts have their day in the sun, but it's a short time. Eventually, all the beasts will have to bow down to the Ancient of Days, At the end of time, the kingdom of the world will transform into the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and his reign will never end in the new heaven and the new earth. It's a done deal. So why are we often so anxious and worried in life? If we trust in the Lord, our future is secure. Our destiny is in his eternal kingdom. Whatever trials, suffering, or persecution we face and endure in life, as followers of Jesus, our future is already written. Our names are in the Lamb's book of life, and we will reign with our King forever and ever. So let's put our hope and our trust in that. But something I remind myself, you've got to preach to yourself. I've got to preach to myself. You've got to preach to yourself to remind. We've got to remind ourselves of this reality. Because sometimes all we hear and see are the beasts and their counterfeit kingdoms. We've got to read and study God's word. We've got to remind ourselves and remind each other of the truth. Though it may look like all there is are the kingdom of the beasts out there, the reality is the Ancient of Days is seated on his throne. We've got to take captives our thoughts and make them obedient to Christ. Whatever fear and threats may come, whatever worries may come when we're attacked, we've got to take our stand God is true. His kingdom is true. Jesus has died and risen from the dead. Jesus is coming back. We've got to stand on this. We've got to preach to ourselves and remind ourselves of that. And we've got to preach to each other because we need each other as the body of Christ. 
I've reflected some on Sunday gatherings. There's nothing profound <laughs> or earth-shaking about these gatherings. You're here today to listen to me, of all people. But there's something about coming together as the people of God to pray together, to hear the word of God, to praise God together, and to remind ourselves of the truth, the reality of the world that God is seated on his throne. God's word is powerful. It recenters our lives. It strengthens our faith. This gathering recenters our lives and strengthens our faith. It renews our spirits so that when we go out and face the beasts of the world, we can take our stand and maintain our faith and witness in Christ till the end. Because often through the week, we start to go astray and we're tempted and deceived and led astray, but every week coming back, we recenter, we gather, we encourage and point each other back to the true reality. But before I close, I want to ask you are you in God's kingdom? Have you bowed the knees of your heart to Jesus? Have you put your faith, your trust, your hope in Him? And if not, I encourage you to do so today. What I've told you is the truth. The world and its systems are passing away. Jesus and his kingdom are the only thing that will last forever and ever. Jesus has died on the cross for your sins. He has risen from the dead. He's coming back and will judge all of humanity. Trust in Jesus. You'll reign with him forever and ever. Refuse to trust in him and go your own way and be shut out of his kingdom forever and ever. And if you've never done that and you want to talk with someone, you could talk with me afterwards. There's other leaders here from Connection who would love to talk with you more about what it looks like to trust in Jesus, to come into his kingdom and live out the reality of Daniel's vision they describes in chapter 7. And as I was doing some meditation on this passage today, I want to close in a way that I don't know if I've ever closed before <laughs> in, a, in a message. This uh, passage inspired me to write a poem. And I haven't written poetry <laughs> in a long time. I used to every now and then, but it's been a, it's been a while. So I want to close with a, a poem that I wrote. And I feel confident this is a safe place and that you all are gracious. So <laughs> bear with me. In his vision, his dream, Daniel's mind saw things unseen, of the world and kings of what things would be, kingdoms of the world versus the kingdom of God. Who will stay? Who will last? Look at the scriptures. Your time's coming up fast, so you better act fast. Pride, injustice, greed, oppression, king after king, they come in succession. Grotesque, vicious, selfish, beast after beast, they're all manic oppressive. Fear, angst, hate, vengeance, the character of kings without repentance. Fighting for power, fighting for control, fighting for a position that's impossible to hold. Cycle after cycle, one reign to the next. What's there to do but send out a text into the universe? Is there hope? Do we have a prayer? Does anyone even care? Cue the Ancient of Days. Here he comes, walking in nonchalant, taking his seat, no doubt. No worries, no stress, no strife. Evil will be dealt with, no need for a knife.
a king with no beginning nor end, his reigns forever, won't you be his friend? A rule that's perfectly true and just, a king without peer, everyone can trust. No need for fear, worry, or apprehension, the king's on his throne without succession. Sitting, reigning, ruling in power, taking his seat, now is the hour. Make a choice. Trust in the king or trust in the beast. Choose the king, joy and peace as we sit and dine at a sumptuous feast. Choose the beast and be consumed. Take heed, my friend, lest you seal your doom. The end is now, the end is coming, glory forever, no need for fretting. Worship the king, praise his name, his glory unending, spread his fame. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. There before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Amen. Amen.